Well, as today is the Sunday that uh, closest to the day we celebrate Christmas, in the, at least in the Western tradition of Christianity, I, I want us to look at the birth narrative today. I, I was looking back in my notes, and I, I know I've read this passage many, many times, but I haven't probably preached on it in a long time. And so I wanted to spend some time looking at that. And, and, and as I was studying, I came across a part of this story that I, I'd never really noticed before. This part of Jesus' life is only recounted in really in two of the four Gospels, um, here in Luke and then, of course, over in Matthew. There are differences in the two. Mark uh, begins his account of, uh, of John the Baptist as he prepares the way for Jesus and in the baptism of Jesus. No mention of his amazing birth. John begins with the phrase, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, it's an implication of the deity of Jesus, but no clear explanation of how he became human. Matthew tells the story primarily from Joseph's perspective. Luke picks up more of uh, Mary's side of the story, but taken together, they give us a pretty pretty full picture of the God-man Jesus who came to live uh, in order to Give us eternal life. And, and what they do in this, and I'm going to give you a big theological term to finish the year. You ready? Is, is that he, he reveals here the hypostatic union in Christ. And you're going, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was going to have to learn new words today. Well, the hypostatic union is a simple way that theologians, as if a theologian could be simple. But anyway, a simple way to describe the union of perfect divinity and imperfect humanity in Christ. And you go, well, how does that work? Well, i got to tell you, I'm not fully sure I understand it, but I know that's what happened because Jesus is, was fully God and fully man. Because if he lacked one or the other, he would not have been complete in the process of bringing us forgiveness. So by bringing these two natures together, he is uniquely qualified to bring to us what we need, redemption, forgiveness of sin. Now, last week we talked about the call of God on Mary's young life. And her response, I think, is just an amazing one. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture where she says, Be unto me according to your word. What a, what a great way to live. Now, today, if we lived in England, we would be celebrating a different holiday. I asked my wife yesterday what it was, and she actually knew. I was very impressed. Uh, it's called Boxing Day. You know what Boxing Day is, don't you? It's not when you fight each other. Boxing Day is this, let's see, how would the British say it? This brilliant holiday. They love using that word brilliant. We don't use it. They use it a lot. Where everyone gets to their house and boxes away all the Christmas stuff on one day and gets it all done. I think that's just a marvelous invention uh, myself. But anyway, it's Boxing Day. But, but, you know, it kind of alludes to something in our lives. Let me, let me give you a couple other thoughts that maybe go with Boxing Day. Whether yours is today or sometime around Valentine's Day, okay? Boxing Day. The other is when you get to the end of a vacation and you're on the way home and you drive back in the driveway, there's a sense there, isn't there? Something's over. Boxing Day is Christmas is over. End of the vacation. Vacation's over. How about after the wedding's over, after the honeymoon's over, you have to do what? Figure out how to live together, right? How to have a life together and back at home. How about... um, once the baby's born and you've had the three to five hours they allow you to stay in the hospital anymore and they send you home, now you've got to do what? Figure out how to raise that kid, right? How to take care of that kid. The question I want us to look at in the Christmas story is one that I had never noticed before, and it's the idea 
of how you move forward after the event. What's next? Today's the day after Christmas. Today is Boxing Day. Today's the day to move forward. We're all going to move forward one way or the other. So we turn to this story, the commonly called the birth of Jesus, that Luke gives us, the, I think, the fuller story. Matthew has some other details. Matthew tells us about the escape to Egypt. Luke tells us about the presentation at the temple. But they bring all of this together. And so I want us to look at Luke's passage and then a couple of thoughts to bring it together. The first thing I want you to notice is our friend Joseph. Joseph cared for his family. Look at verses 1 to 5. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus from all the way over in Rome, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, it could also be translated or, uh, could be translated or before, uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And a lot of times we read that passage and just go, okay, next and move on. But I want to stop here just a second. Because remember, the story left off at the end of Luke chapter 1 with uh, Mary had been to visit Elizabeth. And if you remember that kind of cool encounter where the baby uh, uh, in Elizabeth's womb leaped inside her when Mary walked into the room. That's just a fascinating connection there. And Mary had spoken that amazing Magnificat, we call it in in, in most scripture passages, those magnificent words of praise because of what God's doing. We've heard about the birth of John. We've seen how John's dad, Zechariah, had had spoken with spirit-filled prophecy in, in response to that. And then the story comes back to Joseph. Joseph cared for his family. He has a responsibility. Welcome to life, right? We all have responsibilities. But Joseph, Joseph's entry is in response to something he had no control over. Did you notice that? There was an, a, a decree went out from the government. The government said, you have to do this. You have to do what? The Caesar says, I want to know how many people are in my realm. Now, you, you need to understand, his realm was massive. It was huge. And they didn't just send out census takers. In fact, they didn't send census takers to your house to come see how many lived in your house. They said, you have to go back to your ancestral home to be counted. Some guy named Quirinius happened to be the governor at Syria at the time. It's important because you can date that in real secular histories to the time period. But, but here's the reality. Joseph has a job to do. You're going, yeah, you've got to get this family counted. Well, it's more than that. Follow with me. Joseph and Mary were not natives of the town of Bethlehem, I mean of, of Nazareth. So that means they have to go back to their homeland. You're going, how did they get up there? I, I've shared this theory with you many times before. I think they were religious pilgrims who or uh, immigrants who went to a place to possess land. But they still were from Bethlehem. And so they traveled back down there just a little bit south of Jerusalem in a region that if you had to find something in Texas that was similar, it would be the hill country. Rocky crags, hills, valleys. That's, that's, that's Bethlehem. That's Jerusalem. That's the, the geography, the topography of that area. But remember, Mary's what? She's at least eight months pregnant. Now, I've, I've experienced pregnancy by observation three times. And there is not one of those observations that I've made that my beloved wife would have said, let's go for a 90-mile walk. 
it wasn't going to happen. And I suspect it was probably closer to 110 miles because of political situation in the time. You had to travel a little bit further to avoid certain people. But we're not told why other than what? The census is being taken. They've got to deal with this. They have already went ahead and been married, but they have not uh, completed the transaction. You know what I mean by that? And so I suspect he's doing something here out of his care. I suspect he takes her with him because to leave a woman who everybody knew what she had done to get pregnant in a small village of religious zealots could have resulted in her death. And you're going, what? You know, in the Old Testament, a woman who commits adultery is stoned. And if Joseph had left, I think her daddy would have said, have at her. I don't care. Look what she did. That would have been amazing to understand and believe. So what David, what we see here in this situation is Joseph says, I care for my wife, the one who I was betrothed to, who I'm now going to be married to. And even though he knows that the baby that she carries is not his, he says, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to take what? The next step forward. That's the next activity. He says, I've got to do this. Second thing I want you to notice is Mary then fulfilled her commitment. We look back early in chapter 1. We see she said, unto me, be it unto me according to your word. Look what she does in verses 6 and 7. Not a whole lot here about it, but they were, it's important. And while they were there, the time for her to give birth. She gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end, now the story turns over to Mary, this teenage girl to whom God sent the angel Gabriel with a life-changing message. We are not given the details of how she became pregnant, all the, that she was, and God was involved in that somehow. But pregnant, she did become. And by the way, it had all the joys and all the struggles of pregnancy. Those of you who have carried babies, you understand that way better than I do. She surely had mood swings. It happens. She faced the reality of her body changing. It happens. She experienced the discomfort of a baby developing in her as well as the joy of that event. And anyone who's been through the experience knows the difficulty faced with the process, but they also know what? The joys, the blessings that come with that process. From the first time you feel the baby move to the first kick to the anticipation of delivering the gift from God, pregnancy is an amazing process. And the text just says the time came. She's walked some 90 to 110 miles last month to six weeks of pregnancy. There aren't a lot of words here, but there's some information we can glean. They arrived at a time when many people were traveling. There was a lot of folks moving around because of the census. So here they are. They've, they've, they've kind of gotten through that. They've gotten to the place that we discovered what? There are no guest rooms available for them. There was no Motel 6. And Tom Bodette did not leave the light on, Okay. There was no place for them to stay. So instead, they stayed, and we always have a visual. We actually build one of these in our yard most years, a manger, a wood-roofed or tin-roofed structure. Inside is hay, and we put figurines in there. That has no bearing on what they probably were in. It was probably more like a cave, if you want to imagine that. You're going, a What? Caves were numerous in that part of the world. They would use them for livestock, for feed. They would carve out troughs out of stone for water, for feed to go into. And this is the place they ended up in to deliver the king of kings and to place him to sleep. She delivered this child just like 
every one of you ladies have done this with much pain, which with, with, with much agony, and with much joy when it's over. That's a common experience. Mary was just like you. She wasn't exempt from the full experience. It was God working through fallen humanity to bring himself to us. And her step forward is this. She did what God told her to do when she said, Be unto me. And now she carries the baby and delivers him. It's her boxing day. Then Luke includes our friends, the shepherds. I've always wondered why. I gave it some thought this week, did some study this week, did some reading this week. Let's look at the passage first before we jump into that. Look what he said. The shepherds were included in the moment. Verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, watching flock over, uh, watch, watch, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, What in the world just happened? That's what I would have said. Instead, they said this, What? Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Luke now turns to a unique part. He's the only one that gives us the account of these guys. Why? I remember the first time I had the privilege to travel to the Middle East. I went with my dad when I was just out of high school, and uh, I was by far the youngest on the tour uh, at that age. Usually it's uh, more mature individuals who have retired from their jobs that often do many of those trips. But as we're traveling through the area around Bethlehem, through the hills, through the narrow roads, Every time we would see sheep, actually, let me rephrase this. Every time the older ladies would see sheep, they would start yelling, sheep, sheep, and I didn't really get it. And it kind of became a joke for my dad and myself. Like, okay, they're the same flock as we saw last time. They look like the same nasty animals huddled together in these pastures. Why do we have to stop and look? And we stopped the bus, and we took pictures again and again. Why? What's the importance of sheep? Why does Luke include these guys? I, on one level, let me just give you, just real straight. God wanted it in the story. That, let's just put that aside, okay? We know that because God created the scriptures for us. But I suspect there's a fuller, fuller reason why, because they serve as witnesses to this moment. But it really reminds you who sheep herders were in that culture. Uh, do you remember the story of, of, of King David being chosen uh, to be king, anointed to be king? You remember the, the, the prophet uh, Samuel came down to Bethlehem, oddly enough, the same town, looking for the king to ordain, to, to sanction, to be the next, the man to be the next king. And they go to Jesse's house and they're looking through the boys doing a boy inventory. How about this one? Nope. How about this one? Nope. How about this one? Nope. You remember the story? They went all the way to the bottom and, and the prophet said, is there not another one? And they go, well, oh yeah, we got one more boy. Where was he? Do you remember? He was watching sheep. 
That's how important the people who watched sheep were. They were forgotten in the culture. They were unremembered. They were not people you even really worried about too much. And here they are. And by the way, the house of Jesse, Jesse was the grandson of a couple named Boaz and Ruth. If you've ever read the story of Ruth, there's a tie-in there into the Jesus story. But as they worked through them, they didn't find anybody. And finally they go, sheep, sheep. Oh yeah, there's a boy out there. What's his name? You know, I struggle with names. What was his name? David. Sheep were a primary stock for people in that region. They didn't have cattle much. They had some. They really relied on sheep for what? For meat. You're going, sheep? Yeah, it's called mutton. Like a lamb. It's an acquired taste. I don't like it, but it, but the, you can live on it. They would get milk from them. Really? Yeah. They, you get clothing from sheep. You, you take what you cut off and you make it into to linen and cloth. And, and ultimately, for the people of God, they were also used for sacrifice to God. Kind of an important stock. But the people who were given the responsibility to watch them really had some of the lowest positions in the culture. They lived in the fields with the animals. That meant they often smelled like animals. They weren't really that clean. And they're often, as we saw in David's case, overlooked. But it was to these, let me call them overlooked ones, God sends his angels to reveal the arrival. I think what he's trying to help us grasp is this idea that God's message was going to be for who? For everybody. Not just those who are in society, but those who are on the fringes of society. I don't know about you, but I find a lot of encouragement in that. That God takes all of us, no matter where we come from, and brings us into the kingdom of God as we respond to him. So these shepherds make their way over to Bethlehem to see what God's done. They find Joseph, they find Mary, they find Jesus in this filthy manger. God was at work, man, but it was an unusual way for God to work. But God often does that. He takes those whom the world considers unimportant, unloved, overlooked, to accomplish his purpose. Their step forward took them from the shield, sheep in the field to the presence of the king of kings. The fourth thing I want you to notice kind of brings it all together and then we'll apply it. The reality is everybody responds. Everybody responds to the event. Look at verse 17. And when they, and we're talking about the shepherds still, They saw it. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, period. But Mary, here's another response, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. But the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and as they had been told them. And then there's another response in verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we've looked at the actions of Joseph, the faithfulness of Mary, the inclusion of these filthy, dirty shepherds. Now the writer brings us a summary, which brings us back to what I noticed this week for the first time as I studied this message. What happens next? What happens next? You know, after every momentous event in life, there's what we call the day after, the next step. Do you remember when you graduated from high school? That was a big step, wasn't it? 
How about when you graduate from college if you were fortunate to do that? Wow, what now? What do we do next? When you got married, what's next? When you have that child and you bring him home, for the, the child home, what do, we do? what do we do with this thing, you know? This is the way life is. But in this situation, we have a path forward for each of these characters. I want to give you a real quickly just kind of a summary of them before we try to apply it. On Boxing Day. First, look at the actions of the shepherds. They're in verses 17, 18, and 20. These filthy, unknown shepherds have been included, shepherds have been included in this miraculous event. You can ask the question why. There's probably guys who have written doctoral dissertations on that question. You're thinking, really? Yeah, that's the kind of stuff people do in seminary. They write questions and answers to this kind of stuff to figure out what does that mean. And they reference different scriptures and try to understand. They look at history. They try to discover the meaning. But here's filthy, unknown shepherds included in God's amazing, miraculous plan. Wow. Can you imagine if you had been a shepherd and you got invited into this? How do you respond? You know, I actually believe they could have heard the message from the angels and done what? Man, that's great. We're going to watch our sheep. Instead, they did what? They made a move. They said, we got to go. we got to see. we got to find out. The moment when God provides the one through whom redemption would bring the salvation for, possible for us. They go, we got to see this. Here we have men who are basically nobodies being included in a pivotal moment resulting in them telling everyone they encountered about the event. They took the step forward. Their primary reaction is what? Let me tell you the good news. Wow, what a great example. We can't hold this blessing in. We've got to talk about it. You won't believe what happened to us in the fields. Some would probably think, how much of the sacramental wine have you been drinking out there, buddy? But it wasn't. It was God at work. They had to speak the blessing. They had to tell everyone they'd encountered. They took their step forward. Second, I want you to consider the introspection of Mary. It's just right there in verse 19. Look what she does. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, here's a teenage girl. I don't know if she was 13 or 18, but she was somewhere, I think, in that span because that was common in that day for women to get married at that point. And she had been invited to participate in God's plan. She'd been invited into this situation to bring redemption to humanity And what she does is she treasures these things up. She holds them. She ponders them. She considers them. You know, when a person ponders in their heart, it simply means they're considering the moment. They're considering the impact. They're going to think, they're giving it some thought. They're giving it some deep thought. Here she was, a young girl from a nowhere town, invited to be part of God's work. Wow. She really had nothing intrinsically of worth. It could have been any young girl, but she'd been included. And she takes on the task, ladies, catch this, of raising this child, of caring for his physical needs until he can take care of himself, of feeding him. In the ancient world, was what many women do today is the same. She says, I'm going to care for him. I'm going to train him in righteousness. How much do we learn from our mothers as young children? Mary gets to be that person for Jesus. And then, as we know from the end of the story, she was there on the day he was crucified to watch him die. 
for her sin, for our sin. A woman of commitment. Her step forward, it was dearly just beginning. And then third, consider the faithfulness of Joseph. You're going, I don't see Joseph's name in there. It's there, you just didn't see it. At the end of eight days, he was circumcised. Now, I gotta tell you, in, in Jewish history, that was not the mom's job to make sure that happened. That was the dad's job, to line up the rabbi to come and to take care of this process that they would do as a sign of the covenant between them and God. What we see here is the faithfulness of Joseph. He's such a hidden character in this story a lot of times. We don't see his name, but he brings about the next step, the most important step that's next in his life of this. We're being part of the people of Israel. And Matthew gives a fuller picture of these, but Joseph's the one who leads the family. It's a ceremony where the male child would be circumcised, identifying him as a child of the covenant. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was then named Jesus, the name given by the angel whom before he was by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now we find out in the other account he was also what? Dedicated to the temple. Luke doesn't cover that. They waited for the time of purification for Mary and they would do that. But life would go on, faithfulness would continue in their lives. Because it was boxing day. You have to move on. Three quick thoughts, and I'll be done. I was joking with somebody before church. We'll probably finish early. We probably, possibly will. First of all, I want you to see this. Hearing God results in transformation. When we listen, hearing implies listening. When we listen to God, when we listen to what he has for us, there's some things we need to grasp. There's a principle that Joseph Mary the shepherds have that we need to consider. These are people, listen, not unlike you and me. They had lives they were going to live. They had plans they wanted to fulfill. They had other things on their agenda. And each of one, each one of them had hopes and aspirations for their lives. Let me give you examples. Joseph wanted what? A wife to build a life together. That's what he wanted. Mary wanted to fulfill her role as wife and mother. In that day, women didn't typically work outside the home. This was her calling. The shepherds, their job was what? Take care of sheep. Take care of the sheep. Take care of the sheep. I'll get that out in a minute. Uh, take care of the sheep as best they could. But God did what? He stepped into their lives. Doesn't God have the right to step into our lives at times and say, here's what I have for you. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be involved in this. I want you to go this direction. I want you to go here. I want you to do that. I want you to be a part of this kingdom's work. And at that point, my friends, we have a decision to make. Will we rise to the call of God? Or do we settle for less? Do we rise to the call of God? Or do we settle for less? God's desire for all of humanity is this, to transform. You're going, what do you mean? We are born dead and in sin. The first major transformation he wants to do for us to what? To bring us into a relationship with his son, to give us forgiveness and a new life. If, I, you, if, if you can't figure out transformation, that itself is transformation. One who was once lost is now saved. One who lived in the darkness is now in light. One who is now dead is alive. That is the transformation that we begin with. And that's where God begins to change us and transform us and to move us because without God, we were sinless and rebellious, sinful and rebellious, but with him, we begin to move in the right direction. As Corinthians Paul said to the Corinthians, and we all with unveiled face reflecting the glory 
of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. There's a song that I don't know where I've heard it. We don't sing it here, but it's, it says it's, we go from glory to glory to glory. We're forever changed, forever changed. That's the transformation that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to change us completely and totally. And when you answer that holy call of God, there's no way you can stay the same. These characters in the story, they couldn't stay the same. Why? God said, I want you, and they said yes. The same thing in your life. When you say yes to God, he will change you. Second, God uses rejects for his purpose. I struggle with how to phrase this. I hope you understand what I mean by that. Shepherds were not the preferred folks in society. But if you think about all the characters in the passage, Joseph and Mary, they were nameless peasants if they weren't in this story. They were people who would have lived and died and we would have never known about them if it hadn't been for Jesus. They were nobodies in a lot of ways. They weren't influential people. It's just who they are. But look what God did through them. Do you see that? That's the beauty of this story. One of them literally carried the Son of God. One served as the example of what it meant to be a godly man and to raise him as his own child. And the other spoke boldly of the arrival of Jesus. You know, if we had been picking the characters for the story, we probably wouldn't have picked these characters. We would have said, well, let's get somebody of influence, somebody who has a a platform, somebody who has lots of followers on social media. And he says, no, I'm going to choose these. But that's how God works. He takes those of us who can't do what he needs and he gives us the power to carry out the task and fills our lives with his presence. Isn't that amazing? God can use us. Over the letter to Corinth, Paul spoke of this exact thing, 1 Corinthians this time. He said, but for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Paul never really knew how to make friends and went in and he just didn't, he just laid it out there. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Y'all aren't that bright. According to worldly standards, not many were powerful. You know, got much strength. Not many were of noble birth. You really are nobodies. But here's the beauty. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When God takes the lives of not so bright, not so powerful, and not so noble folks like, dare I say, us, and does something amazing in it, he gets the credit. God uses the weak to bring about his good work. The third thing I want you to see is this. Everybody responds to Jesus. Our friend is back today flying around, so watch out. Finally, there's a thought I want you to consider as we close out the end of the year and the holiday season and celebrate Boxing Day and move on. Everybody's going to respond to Jesus. Everybody. 
Each of the people in this story were faced with exactly the same decision that we're faced with. Will we respond positively or negatively to Jesus' invitation? Some of you are saying, well, I already asked Jesus as my Savior, so I'm good to go. Check. Great. I'm glad you did that. But I've got to tell you something. He's not done with you because you're still here on earth. He's got places for you to serve, ministries for you to plug into, words to speak of encouragement and positive things to do. So the question isn't, are you going to respond? The question is, how do you respond? If you don't know Christ, you've got to say yes to him. Then, if you are his, what's next? So you say, well, I've made some bad choices. I've messed up here, here, and here. God wants to give you a fresh start. Today is the time to do that because we're not promised tomorrow. As we read earlier, Proverbs 27 says, do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring. Now is the day of salvation if you don't know him. Now is the day to step out and do the things he's calling you to do. Now is the day to be faithful to move forward with him. How will you respond? Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the blessings of your son Jesus who came to give us the opportunity to have new life. And I pray, God, that as we sing and respond in these moments that, God, you would be with us. Give us clarity to see what you have for us. And then, Father, we would take whatever that next step is for each one of us. Father, for some, it's to trust you by crying out, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. For others, it's something else. A willingness to say, okay, God, 2022 is coming. I'm going to let you lead my life better this year than I have in the past. I want to listen to your voice better than I have in the past. I'm going to be more faithful, better in the future than I have in the past. God, we pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen.